Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Real quick, I got a tweet here from uh, about the last hour's topic. Uh, This is from Moral Compass, which I always try to follow, by the way. Just, you know. Anyway, I remember when the Acousta paper mill closed in Brevard back in the early 2000s. My dad had worked there for over 20 years. The city was never the same. Many people with young families had to move out of the area. Yeah. Uh, We're talking about last hour, the, uh, the Canton paper mill closing, the announcement coming this week. And it's like. Over, you know, it's like 1,200 people going to be laid off in a town of 27,000. Um, all right, so Hour 2, News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Uh, the phone number is 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And the uh, uh, email is pete at the petecalendarshow.com. Uh, remember, get the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. So this week, the North Carolina Senate Health Committee leaders unveiled the details of their totally awesome Medicaid expansion agreement that they struck with state House leaders last week. This is all Republican on Republican action, some hot Republican action, R on R. During the press conference, Senate leader Phil Berger said his chamber would take up the House's Medicaid expansion bill and amend that. All right, so it's like I'm not going to get into the weeds on, you know, how a bill becomes a law, but they have their own versions, and then they're going to hammer out some agreement. And so the big takeaway here, in my view, and what do I know? I'm just a little old radio host, right? Um, in my view, the deal is essentially this. In order to shrink government a little bit we need to grow government a lot that's the deal that's a that's a it's a rock-ribbed conservative position to take um in north carolina republican legislative ideology on tuesday the senate ran what's called a pcs it's a proposed committee substitute and it replaces the bill with new language according to the deal that gets struck so you have you know you file the bill and then uh, you're like oh well this isn't going to pass so they like strip out uh, like a lot of the language and they stuff something else in it under a PCS. This happens all the time. Uh, State Senator Ralph Heise, he says there are workforce requirements in the bill. Okay, workforce requirements. In other words, you you, you want you, you got to uh, there's a workforce uh, component to it where you got to. Uh, you got to try to work, you got to look for work and all that. I mean, of course, in other states that have tried this, uh, they've been shot down by the courts. But I guess it'll totally work this time. Not sure. Um, and maybe there's a, a kill switch here that if they can't get the workforce component um, to be part of the deal, then the whole deal goes away. But I suspect it's actually the opposite. Just, uh, just going to go with my gut on this is that if it doesn't actually – Come to fruition, I suspect the rest of the deal will remain in place. Uh, He says there is a requirement for the department 
to continue to seek workforce requirements and enhancements anytime there's a change in notification from the Center for Medicaid Studies or whatever it is up at the federal level or the federal government about the acceptance of workforce requirements. See, so already there's language in there that says we have to keep seeking workforce requirements. So there's an acknowledgement in the very language that this probably isn't going to happen. And if the feds say we can't do it, that's okay. We'll we'll still expand Medicaid. But if there's ever any change, we are we're going to have to totally do it. But we don't know if there's any change, so we're still going to do it. Ralph High says the bill would eliminate the following certificate of need requirements. All right, before I go into these, real quick, certificate of need, also called CON, sometimes also called CON, for obvious reasons. Um, certificate of need requirements. What are certificate of needs? I went over this the other day. Since 1978, North Carolina has restricted the supply of health care with these CON programs, these CON programs, 1978, Democrats in control, Democrats put this stuff in place. These, but, but make no mistake, Republicans have been in charge now for over a decade. If they had wanted to be limited government, free market Republican conservatives, they could have undone this stuff. But they just have not been able to get it done. And so they're going to trade scrapping some of these CON laws in exchange for expanding Medicaid. Because this is the obvious Republican position to take, right? Expand Medicaid, bigger government, more government intrusion into the, uh, into the medical industry, more government funding being uh, pushed out the door up in Washington, D.C., and we get to repeal a teensy-weensy little bit of the CON regime. And you're supposed to like this deal, by the way. Don't ask me how I know. No, I, I, you can actually, and I will tell you. I'm actually going to give you uh, in great detail how uh, the pressure is being applied to people, such as myself, such as the John Locke Foundation, right? The pressure is now being dialed up on people who are opposed to these things that we've been opposed to for over a decade and that the Republican leadership has been opposed to for over a decade, but now they're not. Right now they're now they're for it, and now we all need to get in line. And if we don't get in line, we're stupid, and we are irrelevant, inconsequential. We don't get stuff done. This was literally told to us on Twitter. <laughs> this was literally told to us over the last sixteen hours or so. So I'm just passing it along to you because you don't matter. I don't matter. Our input doesn't matter. We don't move the needle on things. We don't get stuff done. We just talk. That's all. We all just talk, and so that was also said to me. You'll hear. Um, And I did extend an invitation for the person to come on the program. Uh, They've not responded, but make no mistake, they will be on the program. Um, These programs, these CON programs, the Certificate of Need programs, prohibit healthcare providers from entering new markets or making changes to their existing capacity without first gaining the approval of state regulators. Research shows that reforming or repealing these laws would improve both the quality and accessibility of health care for North Carolinians while lowering its cost. And God forbid we do that. God forbid we, I mean, what kind of, what kind of free market limited government Republican or conservative would ever agree to do that, to repeal laws 
that would lead to the improvement of quality, accessibility, and lower costs. My God, what are you, Marxist? My goodness. So that's what the CON laws are, in place since 1978. And Republicans have been railing against this. Conservatives have been railing against it for 20-plus years. And then they got control of the legislature. They got super majorities. And for some reason, they can't figure out how to do it. <laughs> it's just a brain buster. How do, we, how do we enact some type of reform to, uh, to get this anti-competitive government regulatory regime Regulatory capture in the industry. How do we undo this while also keeping all the donations from the hospitals? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how you do it. It's just, it's, it's a brain buster. It's a brain buster. And by the way, you should not complain about this unless you have a plan for them to implement. Like, do you have a turnkey solution here? You know, do you have a, do you have a just like, here you go, plan in a box, you know, plug and play. Here's the plan. Just boop, plug it into the computer. Boom. Everything happens the way you want it. Done. Because unless you have a plan to do it. And by the way, if you suggest a plan, they will criticize the suggested plan. But if you, unless you have a plan to do it, then you need to shut up. You need to shut up. You limited government, conservative, libertarian types. Just shut up because uh, that's just all talk. You can do all the research on it for a decade. You can fight the left on this stuff. You can go to war with people over this stuff. You can get all the arrows. You can get, be the punching bag for the NC Policy Watch people, for all the Democrats and media, but I repeat myself. You can do all of that, and you can think that you're ideologically allied with the leadership, with Republicans on this, because you're saying the same thing. But if they flip and they decide to do it, and, and, you know, go the other route and, and expand government to reduce it by a teensy bit, then you need to shut up and get in line because that's the way this works. I mean, at least that's what, that's what I was told over the last 12 to 16 hours. So they're going to eliminate some certificate of need requirements. Behavioral health beds, chemical dependency beds, so you'll be able to add some more of these because government knows how many behavioral health beds hospitals need and the government knows how many chemical dependency beds uh, that the uh, hospital industry needs, right? No, th- no, they don't. The hospitals know. Medical providers know. They would very much. They were. They would very much like. Some of them would like very much like to compete with others, but the monoliths would not. The monoliths would like to have all of the monopoly on the beds, and so they use these rules to keep competition out of certain markets, of all markets. And apparently, the Republicans are totally fine with this too, because of the sweet, sweet lobbying money. Okay, so here. Here's the trade-off we're being offered. Expand Medicaid in what would be the largest expansion of a government program or service in the history of North Carolina, uh, which is the conservative thing to do, obviously. Um, do that, and in exchange, we get to repeal three out of 27 certificate of need regulations, or 11%. Three out of the 27 would get repealed. Certificate of needs, uh, this is government anti-competitive monopolistic regulations, which basically mandate that if you want to add like an MRI facility or something, you got to get GovCo to say yes, because GovCo knows where MRIs are needed the most, obviously. So in order to get three out of 27 of these regulations removed, we have to expand Medicaid. 
at the cost of, you know, billions of dollars, whatever, but who cares? It's federal money. It's not like it's ours, right? Um, Behavioral health beds, that CON gets eliminated, certificate of need, right? So behavioral health beds, so we'll be able to get more of those, good for mental health services, right? That's good. I'm in favor of, I'm in favor of getting rid of the CON. I thought all Republicans were as well. I thought all conservatives were as well. (laughs) Little did I know. Anyway, chemical dependency beds, that's good for treatment. You can get more treatment facilities. That sounds like a win. Gosh, I wonder why that hasn't been done before. If only there was some sort of, I don't know, public pressure campaign. Anyway, also MRIs in counties, but not all counties, but counties that have more than 125,000 people, uh, they would, that would go away. So you can get more MRIs if you're in a county with more than 125,000 people. Uh, but we got to get some money first uh, from the hospitals for that. And then after the hospitals pay, then we'll do that. So if you need an MRI like within a year or two, sorry, out of luck. Um, I mean, you just have to go to a bigger county that has an MRI. That's all. Ambulatory surgical centers, once again, in counties with populations above 125,000. And again, that would be only effective uh, two years from the very first hospital payments. Right, So they're going to tax the hospitals more, but the hospitals are like, you can't tax us more to pay for the Medicaid expansion and get rid of all the CON. Right, So they, so like this is the little balloon they're squeezing on either side. Right, They got the hospital money that is donated to the politicians here. You've got federal government money that's being dangled out in front of the states to, to expand Medicaid. You've got the, um, the reimbursement rates from the federal government to the uh, hospitals and such. you got the CON that is an anti-competitive mechanism to prevent competition. And then the legislators come along and say, well, you know what we'll do? We'll slap a tax on the hospitals to, quote, pay for, which, by the way, we all know what that means, right? We're paying for it. The people who actually pay for health insurance and health care will be paying the freight, not the hospitals. So they're going to slap a tax on the hospitals to help pay for the Medicaid expansion. And then the hospitals don't want any competition because now they got to pay the tax. So they're not going to agree to remove the CONs. So how do they, I mean, not that they have a vote in the legislature, but they do donate money. So what are, what's the deal, right? We'll give you a little bit of taxes. You pay to the Medicaid. We won't eliminate all the CON and everybody gets a little bit and it gets the issue off the table. The Medicaid expansion issue goes away. We don't have to worry about it anymore. But I don't know any of this. I'm just a Monday morning quarterback, as we will later find out. I have no idea if any of this is true. I have no idea what the plan is. I have no idea what the politics are. I'm just a talker. Um, surgical centers that are exempt from certificate of need will be required to have a 4% charity care requirement for centers in counties with populations above $125,000. Right? So there's the... There's the the deal. There are the mechanisms that are in place. And I went over this the other day in a piece by uh, Andrew Dunn at Longleaf Politics, where he goes through the the three reasons that Senate leader Phil Berger apparently changed his mind on opposition to Medicaid expansion. He cited in this podcast with Tim Boyum uh, from Spectrum News, philosophy, cost, and structure. That's what he said. Berger was philosophically opposed to increasing government dependence and growing the size of a social welfare program. And there's been no explanation as to why that ideology has shifted. He's talked about the cost. He said that 
the uh, government would not hold up its end of the bargain. There was a, uh, you know, the, the feds were like, we'll pay you 90% of the costs and you just got to come up with the other 10%, which they, the legislature then offloaded half of that to the hospitals with the tax. So Berger says, well, now I'm looking at it and over the last, you know, 10 years since Obamacare was first implemented, the feds have kept that 90-10 split intact. And so I now have confidence that going forward, they will continue to do so. He's more confident than I am. And then there's the structure. He said Medicaid system before was broken, but now they have kind of shorted up. They have fixed it. And so uh, we're good to go on all of this. Here's part of the problem. And it's a problem that Republican leaders recognized when they opposed Medicaid expansion before like last week. Is that people who are on Obamacare, bronze, silver plan people, I was on one of those plans. When I got laid off, I was on one of those plans. And they're going to find out that the plans have low deductibles and out-of-pocket maximums, and Medicaid doesn't. Medicaid doesn't. And so the insurance companies, these plans, they're going to lose tens of thousands of people that migrate over to Medicaid. This, is, like, this was the whole point of, of Obamacare, folks. I said it at the time. I was sitting right in this freaking chair and I said it. Once you start down the path, there's no turning back. And here we are. Welcome to the destination. Up next, I'll tell you what their argument is to me and to you on how to sell this thing, on how to push this thing across the finish line. And by the way, your opinions on all of this, my opinion on this, not welcome. Not welcome. They don't want to hear it. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. All righty. Uh, let me get to a phone call here from John. Hello, John. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. I enjoy listening to your show all the time. I'm Thanks. a semi-retired surgeon and have a license here in North Carolina and was busy till COVID hit. But anyway... The thing that's interesting is things were so different before Madison Wall Street found medicine. And the big problem with opening these different things and passing these laws is that if you read any of the journals, the medical journals, and my whole family's in medicine, my son teaches medical school out in Colorado, my daughter's a doctor, married to a doctor, we're going to have a shortage of 120 to 125,000 doctors by 2025. So they can pass all these opportunist things there are, but you're going to be like, we're going to turn into England and to get an appointment or even worse, talk to the people in Canada. And I used to live up in Michigan and practice. And you can't, I can't tell you how many times people from Canada came over to Michigan because they were told, even though they had a tumor and they had cancer, they couldn't get them in to do the surgery for at least six months. Yeah. We already, yeah, we already have shortages in the medical industry. It's already occurring, and you're going to dump another five to 600,000 people into the system, and you don't have a way 
to service them. This is why I keep saying coverage is not care. Yeah, everyone's going to be able to uh, to get a Medicaid, uh, uh, sign up for Medicaid, but if you can't see a doctor because there aren't enough, what's the good of having Medicaid coverage? Well, they're going to replace they're going to replace all of us with nurse practitioners, yeah. which is fine. It's just that if you understand the training in medicine, a per- physician's assistant has about twenty thousand hours of clinical training after the schooling. A nurse, a RN, and nurse practitioner has about forty-five to forty-seven thousand hours of clinical training, and the shortest resident, which would be family practice, okay, in medicine. 71,000 hours of clinical training by the time you get your license. Hmm. Now, who do you want seeing you? Yeah. No, I, I get it. I get it, John. I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. All righty. So the News and Observer did a story about uh, the Medicaid expansion bill that was agreed to by the House and the Senate Republicans sailed through committee. And the News and Observer, after doing the story, they tweeted it out. Donald Bryson, who is, uh, I think, president, maybe, or executive director, I forget his, his title, but he's with the John Locke Foundation, and he's been in the trenches working on policy and uh, uh, lobbying, essentially, right at the legislature for years and years and years. And they have, the John Locke Foundation, conservative organization, they have been against Medicaid expansion. They've done white papers on it, right? They've done research on it. Uh, they they do polling on it, all this stuff. So he retweets the News and Observer story, and he says, quote, North Carolina has 27 certificate of need laws. The bill summary looks like it would repeal three of the 27 outright and provide regulatory relief on another two. The Mercatus Center at George Mason University wrote this report on certificates of need in North Carolina, and then he links to it, and North Carolina is currently ranked second regarding the number of CON laws. We have 27. Only surpassed by Hawaii. And this bill would move us from number two on that list to number four on the list, tying us with West Virginia. And so I saw Donald Bryson's tweet, and I responded, well, I guess the General Assembly is going to need to expand Medicaid eight more times to get rid of all the rest of the CON laws. I thought it was pretty funny. Somebody who did not think it was funny was Brent Woodcox. Brent Woodcox works for uh, the North Carolina Senate leadership. Uh, He's a lawyer, and he's on Twitter all the time. Uh, I follow him. He follows me, and generally I agree with Brent on a whole bunch of stuff. And... He did not like what I said. He did not like what Donald Bryson said. And so he responded to me. So to make this sound a little bit easier to understand and to to follow along, I have recruited uh, the resident millennial, (laughs) Bernie Bowles. He shall read the part of Brent Woodcox uh, for this uh, theatrical performance of Brent versus conservatives on Twitter. And so, uh, again, I said... I guess we're going to have to expand Medicaid eight more times to get rid of all the rest of the CON laws. We could expand it zero times and get rid of none of them. Turns out radio ratings and white papers couldn't get the job done, Pete. All right. So first off, it was radio rantings. Oh, I'm so sorry. Pete. No, I understand. It's okay. It's okay. You're just reading this. I just oh gave it to gosh. you. Turns out radio, it turns out radio rantings. Mm. 
Yeah, read that last one. That's the money line. Go ahead, read that one again. Turns out radio rantings and white papers couldn't get the job done. All right. So I interpret this to mean, and I'll get to my response to it, but just as an aside, I interpret this to mean that he's holding the CON repeal hostage for the expansion, or he's holding expansion hostage for the CON repeal? Not really sure which one's the hostage taker and which one's the hostage here, but... What does that line say? Radio rantings and white papers couldn't get the job done. To to what? Expand Medicaid? We're not asking you to do that. Not sure why you're throwing that in there. But apparently, he is saying that in order to get three of 27 CONs repealed, we have to expand Medicaid. That's the deal. Okay, so he says that. I responded. I hear you. I totally get the strategy. I do. Right? The old axiom, you know, you get half a loaf now and come back and fight for the other half. So I tap into that axiom here and I say, I get the strategy. You get 11% of the loaf of bread and then come back and fight for the rest. I was just trying to figure out how many more expansions of government we're going to need to reduce government. Let's hear your plan. What would you do? How would you get the certificate of need reform while conceding nothing. There's a big difference between talking about politics and doing politics. Talking politics is easy. Doing politics is difficult. And those who can't do, talk. Ooh. (laughs) Which I think is an interesting approach here, just again, as an aside. This is an interesting approach to comms, I think, right? The idea here is um, that you go... And take a crap on people who have taken fire for over a decade on the issue that you said you agreed with them on. And then when you flip your position, then you attack them for being ineffective. Which I'm not a lawmaker. Just a heads up on that. I'm not a lawmaker. Uh, and by the way, I did, see, here's why none of this matters to me. It's very similar to the Christy Puckett Williams thing with the ACLU chick, right? It's a very similar thing. Like, I don't hold my positions because... The GOP does. So you may be able to whip all your other guys in line in the legislature. You may be able to whip them all in line because they're party first, right? They're going to do what you tell them to do because that's what the party demands. I don't give a crap about it. That doesn't matter to me. I actually believed in these positions. And so when we were allies on this position, then, hey, good. I'm an ally with you on this on this position. So I didn't do it for the Republicans. So your insults to me about you're just talking about it, you don't do, you can't do, you're just a talker, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. It's not an insult to me. I know what I do for a living. Now, I think you may be underestimating the ability of people in, in my position and others like me in the John Locke Foundation. I think Brent might be underestimating our ability to help motivate people to vote certain ways, to, uh, to help uh, inform and, uh, and motivate uh, people to get involved uh, in issues specifically. I think you might be underestimating that, but I don't know. I'm just a, I'm just a little old radio host, as I always say. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Yes, it's a theatrical reading of a Twitter debate between me and Brent Woodcox, who is a lawyer at the General Assembly working for the Republican leadership on the Senate side. And uh, he is defending, kind of, I guess, merely, mainly attacking critics of the deal over Medicaid expansion in exchange for the elimination of uh, three out of 27 CON 
regulations. CON is Certificate of Need, which is an anti-competitive mechanism used to uh, protect the hospital uh, industry from competition. Right, it, it, the government regulators dictate whether or not you can open new services in particular geographic areas. Okay, so where we last left off, uh, Brent, being played by Bernie Bowles, Brent, uh, Brent rather was saying uh, that uh, he wants to hear my plan. Go ahead, pick it up there, Bernie. Let's hear your plan. What would you do? How do you get a certificate of need reform while conceding nothing? There's a big difference between talking about politics and doing politics. Talking about politics is easy. Doing politics is difficult. And those who can't do, talk. Ooh. Okay. (laughs) I respond. (laughs) Obviously, I am not more powerful than the hospital industry and their money. So I could not get a single CON law repealed. So what's the next play here to get rid of the 89% that still remains? What other federal programs are we looking to expand now? I don't have any plan to make any progress, but I'm criticizing the only plan that has produced progress. It's just not a strong position. Right. <laughs> so, LOL, I'm genuinely curious now. Did you expect all the people who stood with you and argued these positions publicly for a decade, did you expect us to flip so easily? And if not... Do you think your current rhetorical approach here is the best way to convince us that it was the best way to repeal the CON laws? Right. So and then Michael Scarns on Twitter machine, he sees this debate and he's like, yeah, what exactly is your definition of progress here, Brent? Right. This is so this is his argument. Right. Uh, Side note here. This is Brent Woodcox's argument that expanding Medicaid was the only way, the only way to repeal 11 percent of certificate of need loss, these CON loss. That's the only way to have done it. That's his argument. At least in this exchange, because he's not divulging any of the thing, any of the, the backstory here, and I will actually ask him at some point, because like he asks for a plan, which again, this is why I said earlier, like you got to present some sort of a turnkey plan for me to adopt. And if you can't give me a plan, then you're just talking and that's and you and uh and you should just basically shut up. And that is that is what's happening here. It is shut up. But no. <laughs> so, no, I'm not going to. Um, let's re- let, let me reset. Do you remember the first tweet that Brent sent out? We could expand it zero times and get rid of none of them. Turns out radio rantings and white papers couldn't get the job done. So here's where Donald Bryson from the John Locke Foundation replied. He says, so what did get the job done? It's a great question. What did get it done? He says, I mean, really, what pushed the Republican majorities over the edge on Medicaid expansion? I think that it was like a 44 to 2 vote or something yesterday. I mean, just sailed right through. So what what was it? Or that was last year's vote. Like, what was it that all of a sudden got all the Republicans on board with something that they had all opposed for a decade? What happened? Right? What was it? He says, did you all finally see the light on Obamacare? Republican primary voters are curious. By the way, uh, Brent never did answer that question. And I will come back to that. But go ahead, Bernie. If you think Republican primary voters are voting based on Medicaid expansion... 
You haven't been following the polling trends very closely on this issue. Bryson replies, Funny, I polled this very thing. Four Republican primary voters. Last year, actually. And lucky for you, our poll was the most accurate in the state for the 2022 election cycle. And I have he put a screenshot of it here among uh, Republican voters. Do you support expanding Medicaid or oppose it? Support is strongly support plus somewhat support. Total 30 percent oppose 58.4 percent. Bryson then added, and it doesn't really improve when they get more data. Again, these are North Carolina statewide Republican primary voters from a poll that's less than a year old. And at this point, another one of uh, Senate uh, President Pro Tem Phil Berger's people, a guy by the name of Nathan Babcock, who I also follow. I may have actually interviewed him at some point over the years. Um, He then tweeted, quote, Medicaid Murphy says hi, which I don't even know what that means. Is he talking about Dr. Greg Murphy, the congressman? I don't know. I don't know. But when he said when when he said Medicaid Murphy says hi, Brent responded. The years long trend for Medicaid expansion to become more popular among voters, including Republicans. There is no reason to believe that the trend which is accelerating will reverse itself. Medicaid expansion will not determine Republican primary outcomes in the future. Okay, so this is so now we've got now we've got a, a, a defense based on a reason. Okay, so what is this reason? Politics. Right. He's saying politically, Republicans don't care. First, he said Republicans don't care about the issue. They don't vote on the issue. When Bryson then presented evidence to the contrary, Brent said, well, if you look at the states basically that have already adopted it, they Republicans come around and they like it after a couple of years. It's in place and they like it. And then it just accelerates. And so down the road, it's going to be fine. It won't be determinative in Republican primaries. Well, that is that is a purely political calculation. Right. That's all that is. And see, here's the difference. I actually believe that I actually believe the thing that I'm saying. Donald Bryson believes the thing he's saying. And obviously, some other people that have been saying the same thing didn't believe it. They're willing to just, you know, just just abandon the issue. They want it off the table and they don't think it's going to be a winning issue for them going down the road. Now, look, maybe they're right. They probably are. You know how I know that? Because every time you grow government and people become accustomed to getting the free, quote-unquote, service, they don't ever want to get rid of it. That's why it's progressivism. 